This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Well, let's see. Last uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about anger. Mm-hmm. And today, we're going to talk about anger. Part three. <laughs> you know, because there's a lot that the Bible says about anger, it tells us how to overcome it, mm-hmm. you know, how to deal with it, and, and all. So we'll, we'll see a little bit of that today. There's a lot of anger in our world right now. Have you seen any anger in our world? Mm-hmm. Everywhere. You're, you're exactly right. But Jesus will set us free from such a thing and help us to deal with it properly. Anyhow, 90% of the friction of daily life is caused by the wrong tone of voice. You know what I'm talking about? Some people use the wrong tone of voice. And lots of times it just radiates anger, to be honest with you. Acts chapter 24, verse 16, it says, And herein do I exercise. Y'all understand exercise? Mm-hmm. Herein do I exercise myself. And you're not doing it for somebody else, but I exercise myself to have, what's that word? Always. 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 And that's talking about 100%. Mm-hmm. I exercise myself to have always a conscience void, and the word void means empty. I, I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. You know, I exercise my conscience that, that I don't have anger in my life against God or, or against mankind. You know, I'm just set free from all that kinds of anger. Read one more time. I exercise myself. And, and, and we have to do this our own selves. Right. We, we have to forgive and we have to say those words and all. It says, I exercise myself to always, to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. We must forgive to have a clear conscience. We, we must forgive. Because if you don't forgive others, you're not forgiven. You know? We must forgive to have a clear conscience and to stay physically and spiritually fit. We've got to forgive other people. We just have to. Angry, cynical people die young. Men who score high on hostility are four times more likely to die prematurely than men whose scores are low. Do you score high on hostility in your life? Think about that. It really doesn't extend your life. It really doesn't. Angry, cynical people die young. Men who score high for hostility are four times more likely to die prematurely than men whose scores are low. You know, when Abraham Lincoln had to write a letter to someone who had irritated him. Do you ever have people irritate you? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, don't point at them or nothing, okay? <laughs> but when Abraham Lincoln had to write a letter to someone who irritated him, 
he would often write two letters. The first letter was deliberately insulting. Then having gotten those feelings out of his system, he would tear it up and he would write a second letter, this one tactful and discreet. It was a kindness. You think about that. It's good advice. It really is because that could be our natural tendency, but we don't need to allow our natural tendency to control us. That's right. Our first response isn't always the best response, but You're we right. need to surrender it to God and get it right. In the spring of 1894, the Baltimore Orioles came to Boston to play a routine baseball game. But what happened that day was anything but routine. The Orioles' John McGraw got into a fight with the Boston third baseman. Within minutes, all the players from both teams had joined in the brawl. The warfare quickly spread to the grandstands. Among the fans, the conflict went from bad to worse. Someone set fire to the grandstands, and the entire ballpark burned to the ground. Not only that, but the fire spread to 107 other Boston buildings as well. Hmm. It was a chain reaction. Something. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. That's 490 times. In one day? In one day, and you got to start all over the next day if somebody done you wrong. That's or whatever has offended you, you know? Yeah. And he tells us in verse 23, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a, a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's millions of dollars. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold in his wife and his children and all that he had and that payment must be made. Verse 26, it says, The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will repay all. Truth of it is, the, the amount was just too huge. He could never pay all of that debt. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That was like a $10 bill and a 20 about $30. It's what was owed by this other guy. He'd just been paid millions, uh, you know, forgave. forgave for millions of dollars. And he went out, someone owed him, you know, $30. And he was going to go back and get that. Says, then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him his debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. He was angry. He was bitter. He was 
very unforgiving. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Now the other guy could never have paid a few million dollars off. But this guy could have paid $30 off. And he would not. That's verse 30. But he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when the fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after he had called him, he said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the, what does that say? Torturers. Uh, the, the, the verse here is, is written by Jesus. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he had paid all that was due to him. You know the torture really is? It's the devil. And this day and time, the devil, the Bible says the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. You know, do you want to be turned over to the devil? No. Well, we don't want to have unforgiveness in our heart toward anyone Verse 35, it says, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses. Oh, wow. So if you don't forgive someone, God won't forgive you. That's what he says. So it's not, oh, that's not a big deal if I got unforgiven somehow. Oh, yes, it is. It is. Because if you don't forgive others, and Jesus is the only one who can forgive you, of your sins. He won't forgive you. That's what it tells us in his word, you know. Well, you know, it's not uncommon to find two bucks at this time of the year out in the woods or out in the field and they're just fighting with their antlers. They're just fighting and their, their horns get locked up and, and, and they get stuck and as time progresses, you find uh, two deer with their horns hooked together dead out in the field somewhere. You know, that's that's just the anger, just demonstrating the anger of man. How we fight against each other and say all kinds of things against each other. One morning, Ralph Milton woke up at 5 o'clock to a noise that sounded like someone repairing a boiler on his roof. Still in his pajamas, he went into the backyard to investigate. He found a woodpecker on the TV antenna pounding his little brains out on the metal pole. Angry at the little creature who ruined his sleep, Ralph picked up a rock and threw it. The rock sailed over the house, and he heard a distant crash as it hit his car's windshield. His own car. In utter disgust, Ralph took a vicious kick at a clod of dirt, only to remember too late that he was still barefooted and may have broken his toe. <laughs> Our anger always has, has consequences. consequences. Always. It really does. Job chapter 42, verse 10. When Job prayed for his friends, and now just to remind you, these are the friends that he had called miserable comforters back further 
in the in the book, in the beginning of the book. Job had suffered a lot of loss and sickness and just horrible things that happened to him. And his friends came around and they were not an encouragement. They pointed the finger at him. They accused him. They blamed him. And he called them miserable comforters. But by the end of the book, it says Job prayed for his friends. He forgave them and the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as he had had before. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Well, we, we must be pure in heart mm-hmm. so we can forgive. And if we want God to forgive us, you know, uh, if we become bitter, it's, it's, it's a, a terrible thing to have bitterness. Think about it. Have you ever been bitter towards someone and you refuse? Well, I'll never forgive you. You know, that's not a good place to be. No. It really is not. Bitterness contaminates our heart and we can no longer see God because yep. our heart isn't pure. Second Chronicles chapter 16 verse 9 says... For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is loyal, whose heart is pure toward him. Mm. So God is looking to bless those who have pure hearts. It's all the more reason to keep our hearts pure. You know, anger, unforgiveness, guilt does not make a heart pure. It does not. Confessing our sins... You know, being forgiven and, and forgiving others makes a heart pure. Mm-hmm. And if you remember Stephen, Stephen's found there in the New Testament. Stephen had accused the Jewish leaders of being stubborn and rebellious like their ancestors and betraying and murdering the Messiah. Acts chapter 7 verse 54 says, When they had heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. You know what that's like? It's just like. Can you imagine the Bible says people would be, be so upset. They, they chewed on each other. They gnashed on each other with their teeth. That's I'm not bad. making that up. That's kind of like just a the way it was. Yeah. Verse 55 it says. But he being full of the Holy Ghost. He looked up steadfastly into heaven. And he saw the glory of God and. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing on the right hand of God. And then he cried out with a loud voice and he stopped and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city. And they stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet whose name was Saul, whose name was Saul, and they stoned Stephen to death, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's what Stephen was doing, saying, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, lay, the Lord lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Do you hear what Stephen said? Mm-hmm. Don't hold this against those people who are killing me right now. He forgave them. Lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That I means he died. 
And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women. He committed them to prison. Verse 55, it says, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, he looked up steadfastly into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Even when they were stoning him, Stephen saw Jesus. Look around. What do you see? Think about it. Situations, hurtful people, or do you see God everywhere? Do you see God in everything? It really depends upon you, what you're really looking for. Even when hanging on the cross, Jesus saw the Father, and he said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let's try saying that together. Father, Father forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let's say it one more time. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Those are very positive words. And those are the words that Jesus would have us to say. Words very much like that. That's where Stephen learned it from. That's how he was able to forgive. You're right. When he was being stoned. In Mark chapter 6, verse 2, it says, The next Sabbath he, Jesus, began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, Where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Now Joseph, you know, Joseph on one, one situation, he saw God. When there was all kinds of terrible things his brothers were doing against him, mm-hmm. he saw God. And you know, they threw him in a pit. Mm-hmm. You know, they were going to kill him first. And they put him down there and thought they would sell him into slavery. But Joseph saw God in that pit. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you'll remember earlier than that, they, they sold Joseph, you know, into a horrible t- place. But it was called Potiphar's house. He was made a slave, but he rose to a, a position of authority there. Mm-hmm. Then he was put into prison because Potiphar accused him of terrible things and he saw Jesus. He, he saw the almighty God in prison. There's miraculous things happen. Joseph's pure heart became evident in Egypt. He saw dreams and visions from God and once he had risen to power, he did not seek revenge. You don't see him going back you know, once he risen to power, he didn't go back and try to give even with his brothers and all that stuff. That's right. Never even pursued them. You know, he did not seek revenge. Do you ever seek revenge? You ever try to get even with somebody who's done something or said something to you? 
In Genesis chapter 45, now this was after Joseph had risen to power in Pharaoh's household, and he had given his wisdom into how to uh, protect the people during the famine. They had seven years of plenty, and they stored up grain, and then seven years of famine. Uh, They were right in the midst of it. And Joseph's brothers came from Canaan to get food because there was a famine all over. So they came to Egypt to get food. And he, you know, sold them food, and then... He didn't reveal who he was. And then they went back to Canaan, and then they ran out of food again, so they came back the second time. And at this second time, um, this Joseph decided to reveal himself to his brothers, and that's where we are here in Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him, because they were terrified at his presence. Because they knew they had done him wrong, and they thought he was dead for all they knew. Last they knew he was going to be a slave. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was his only real brother. The other brothers were half brothers. They had different moms. And that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here quickly. And he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. Genesis chapter 50. Verse 20, it says, you intended, Joseph talking you know, to his brothers, said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Mm-hmm. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Then Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, and we know that God causes, what's that word? Everything. Oh, 100%. Well, he Causes God causes everything to work together for the good of those, for the good of those who love God. 
He's going to work it all together. But if you don't love him, he don't promise it's going to work together for good. And, and we know that God calls us everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You know, Joseph genuinely loved God and, and was living for, for God's purpose. And you know, it takes faith to forgive somebody. It genuinely does. You, you have to do what God tells us to do and to exercise your conscience. We're reading that scripture earlier. But to exercise your conscience, to be void of offense toward God and man, it takes faith to do that. So you don't take up an offense for someone else. You, you don't get aggravated because somebody else did something against you, do you? It's just not the way it, way it happens. Not long ago, before she died in 1988, in a moment of surprising candor on television, Marganita Lasky, a well-known secular humanist and novelist, said, What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. And we all need forgiveness. Mm -hmm. As much as we need oxygen, you might think you can live without oxygen, but you really can't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you might think you can live without forgiving people, but you're not going to survive that way very long. That's just the truth of it. You know, in the book of Acts, well, I already read this one earlier, chapter 24, verse 16, it says, and herein do I exercise. I exercise myself. I'm exercising me. I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense. What does the word void mean? Empty. Empty of offense toward God and toward man. You know, I, I don't have unforgiveness in my heart toward another man. I forgive everybody, no matter what they've done to me, I forgive. It takes and, effort on our part. Exercising takes effort. It really does. And, and we're not upset with God. Like, well, God, why would you let that happen to me? That's right. You know, we choose. We exercise ourselves to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Standard Oil was once one of the biggest companies in the world, led by the famous John D. Rockefeller. On one occasion, a company executive made a bad decision. Have you ever made a bad decision? Yes. This guy, he made a bad decision. It cost the firm, you know, that Rockefeller was a major part of, $2 million. This was the late 1800s, and $2 million was a huge amount of money. still is. Edward Bedford, a partner in the company, had an appointment to see Rockefeller. And when he entered Rockefeller's office, he saw his boss bent over a piece of paper, busily scribbling notes. And when Rockefeller finally looked up and he said to Bedford, I suppose you're, you've heard about our loss. I've been thinking it over. And Rockefeller said, and before... I asked the man in to discuss this matter. I've, I've been making some notes. Bedford looked across the table and he saw the page Rockefeller had been scribbling on. Across the top of the page was the heading, Points in Favor 
of the man who caused the loss. Below the heading was a long list of the man's good qualities, including notes of three occasions where he had made decisions that had earned the company many times more than his error had lost. Over, you know, three, four million dollars he had already earned for this company. And now he has lost two million. Hmm. Bedford later said, I never forgot that lesson. In later years, whenever I was tempted to rip into anyone, I forced myself to sit down and thoughtfully compile as long a list of good points as I possibly could. Invariably, by the time I finished my inventory, I would see the matter in its true perspective and keep my temper under control. There is no telling how many times this habit has prevented me from committing one of the costliest mistakes any executive can ever make, losing his temper. Good advice. You know, what, what, what's your conscience? You know, think about your conscience. That, that's your knower, you know. Well, I know this. I, that's my conscience is, is where you know things. It's, it's the part of your, your heart and your soul where you know what is right and you know what is wrong. And I, I believe everyone here really does know what's right and wrong. You may violate your conscience, you know, but you know what's right and wrong because we're made in the very image of God. And he knows the right from the wrong. 1 Timothy 1.19 says, Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear by confessing your sins to God, by forgiving others who have hurt you, by receiving the forgiveness from God. We keep our conscience clear by doing these things. For some people have deliberately violated and, and desecrated, contaminated their conscience. With anger and unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. And have you ever nursed a grudge? You ever had a grudge against somebody? And you just nursed that grudge. You keep it healthy and you keep it growing, your grudge. Here's a little grudge. You, you ever go home and you nurse and you talk about what was done or what was said and you nurse and here, have a little bite of this. And you nurse that grudge. And what happens to that grudge? It multiplies. He just keeps multiplying and getting bigger. And bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what happens when you nurse a grudge. But it will bite you. It will hurt you. Its goal is to destroy you. So if you got a grudge in your heart against someone else, it don't help you out at all. It hurts you genuinely. 
So I'm going to put him back down in there and put this lid on him. Keep him there for right now. Let's see. Right here. It's just the beginning part of that. For some people have deliberately violated, desecrated, contaminated their conscience with anger and unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment and nursing their grudge. It don't help them at all. And it goes on to say here, and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. shipwrecked. How would you like your faith? And the almighty God to be shipwrecked. That sounds pretty destructive to me. It does. Romans <laughs> chapter 2 verse 14 says, Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. So basically it's saying that everybody is born with a conscience. God put it there. He did. Everybody has a conscience. Everybody knows the difference between right and wrong. It says they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. So either they're doing right or they're doing wrong. And this is the message I proclaim that the day is coming when God through Christ Jesus will judge everyone's secret life. Did, did you know one day God's going to judge your secret life? And you may not admit it to anybody that you have a secret, you know, but one day it will be exposed. That's what he tells us here, isn't it? And then in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, it says, This will happen in the last days. 1 Timothy, having their consciences seared. Well, what does that mean again? Basically. When you throw a steak on the grill, on the griddle, you sear it, you burn it. You know, you flip it over, try to keep the juices in. But having their consciences seared with a hot iron, our conscience is, is kind of like a triangle. Let me see. Uh, I'll be right back. Those are yours. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this done before, but 
Oh, thank you. And you know what? I, I learned, what was it, six, seven weeks ago, I'm no longer allergic to wheat. And I was using this as an object lesson, and I found out there ain't wheat in them in the first place. <laughs> but I don't know why or how, but six weeks ago, I can eat any wheat I want to, as much as I want to, because God healed me. And I was only allergic to it for 22 years, mm-hmm. you know. But thank you. Thank you. You know, and, and, and this kind of represents, what's that thing that gets in our heart? Our conscience. It's in our heart, automatically. We're born with it. And what happens when you violate it? It's like it turns in our heart. It turns. I should and we probably go, have another one of these. Yeah, but you need to tell it before you eat it. <laughs> I'll tell it before you eat Mm-hmm. And what happens is, you know, it turns and, well, hmm. No, I'm laughing my head here. <laughs> so every time we sin, that triangle, which is our conscience, turns in our hearts and, and we feel the pain but if we continue to sin and we don't repent of those sins our conscience begins to wear those tips off and don't bother us it no longer more. hurts us anymore and we just sin and we don't feel remorse we don't feel bad about it because our conscience has become seared do you have a conscience does your conscience bother you yes some people's conscience don't bother them. If it doesn't bother Anymore, us, we, you know? we need to do something about it. And we can do wrong. When y'all leave here today, take some Doritos with you and think about that again. It's just like, does your conscience bother you? It's a good thing if it really does, you know? And uh, in Titus chapter 1, verse 15... It says, everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences consciences are corrupted. Has your conscience been seared? Is your conscience corrupt and seared? Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. That's that's pretty tough. I, I wouldn't want that to be said about me. No. So we need to keep a clear conscience. Keep it, a it clear is, conscience. It is vital that we keep a clear conscience. You're absolutely right. A father wanted to illustrate to his son the difference between anger and exasperation. Exasperation is more like rage, so like the different different levels of anger. He looked up the phone number of a pompous fellow commuter whom he knew only by the name by name and reputation and he dialed the number when the call was answered by the man the father asked is Adolf there and there's no Adolf here 
Why don't you get the right number before bothering people this hour of the night? Roared the man on the other end. The father hung up the phone and he said, Now that, he said to his son, Now that, said the father when he put down the phone, was simply annoyance. The man was annoyed. After a decent interval, the father dialed the same number and again asked, Is Adolf there? This time, the other party literally screamed into the phone. What's the matter with you? Are you crazy? I told you to look up the number and stop bothering me. Whereupon the receiver at the other end was slammed down. Now that fellow was angry, said the father. In a few minutes, I'll show you what I mean by exasperation compared to anger. So after 15 minutes or so, the father dialed the same number for the third time. And when the same man answered at the other end, the father said almost cheerily, Hello, this is Adolf. Have there been any messages for me during the past half hour or so? And the man lost it. He was totally exasperated, filled with rage. So that's the way the father demonstrated to his son the different levels of anger. We read this article. A couple of years ago, a member of my church's vocal team and I were invited by a Christian leader named Yesu to go to southern India. There we would join a team of people from various parts of the United States. We were told that God would use us to reach Muslims and Hindus and non-religious people for Christ. We all felt called by God to go, but none of us knew what to expect. When we arrived, Yesu met us and invited us to his home. Over the course of the next few days, he told us about his ministry. Yesu's father, a dynamic leader and speaker, had started a mission in a Hindu-dominated area. One day, a Hindu leader came to Yesu's father and asked for prayer. Eager to pray with him, hoping he would be able to lead him to Christ, he took him into a private room, knelt down, closed his eyes, and began to pray. While he was praying, the Hindu man reached into his robe, pulled out a knife, and stabbed him repeatedly. Yesu, hearing his father's screams, ran to help him. He held him in his arms as blood poured out onto the floor of the hut. Three days later, his father died. On his deathbed, he said to his son, Yesu, Please tell that man he is forgiven. Care for your mother and carry on this ministry. Do whatever it takes to win people to Christ. Do whatever it takes to win people to Christ. He for- That's really important. And he forgave the man who stabbed him. And he was showing by example what his son needed to do. First John chapter 3, verse 21 says, Dear friends... If we don't feel guilty, if our conscience is clear and we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. So if we deal with the guilt in our life, we can come before Almighty God with confidence and He'll hear us and answer our prayers. It says here in verse 22, And we will receive from Him whatever we ask because we obey Him and do the things that pleases him if we're not guilty. That's an amazing scripture there. You go to God if you've done some horrible things and you ask him in the name of his son Jesus to forgive you and your sins are gone. You are no longer guilty. 
That's the truth of it, you know? Guilt is one of the most crippling diseases in the world. Doctors and psychologists say that unresolved guilt is the number one cause of mental illness and suicide, and at least half of the people in the hospitals are there because of guilt. Wow. That's pretty serious. And it's a whole lot easier to fix those problems than we recognize. We just confess our sins to Almighty God. That's right. He tells us that. You know, we've got to own what we've done and we've got to confess it to God. Listen to what it says in 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And then we got a clear conscience. Wow. Again, that's absolutely amazing. First mm-hmm. John 1 9 says, but if, is that where I'm at? Yeah, you just read that one. I'm going to read it again. All right. <laughs> First John 1 9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And that gives us a clear conscience. And then Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, So now there is no condemnation. Now now there's no blame, no guilty verdict. You know, we have a clear conscience when we come to him in the name of Jesus. For those who belong to Christ. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. When you come to Jesus and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, there's no condemnation. And God gives us forgiveness and we have no contaminated conscience anymore. Second Corinthians chapter five verse nineteen says For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. God no longer counts our sins against us because he's forgiven us. He says, I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. There's no condemnation. There's no guilt in me. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is the wonderful message, and I think it is a wonderful message. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. Are you telling other people that Christ forgives us of our sins? Are we telling other people the the good news, you know, that God's not counting your sins against you? If you probably, if so, you probably had that gnawing feeling that you deserve punishment. If you are only heaping guilt on people instead of telling them the forgiveness. If you're heaping guilt and condemnation upon people, you know, you know that you deserve punishment because a guilty conscience, it ruins us. It works against us. But we have good news. We have fantastic, awesome news. He has given us that news to tell other people. A wonderful message. To tell them that God forgives us of all of our sins. He genuinely does. Let me see here. Psalms 130, 
Verse 3 says, Lord, if you keep a record of our sins, who, O oh Lord, could ever survive? None of us could. We, we, we've all missed the mark, haven't we? Mm -hmm. I remember when I was in school, probably about the fifth grade, you know, and my teacher, she fussed at me a good little bit. I don't know why I was so sweet and everything, but she fussed at me a good little bit. But she would threaten me a lots of times with a permanent record. She says, Ronnie, if you don't do it, that's going to go on your permanent record. And I'd hear that go, oh, no, the permanent record. I never did find out what a permanent record was. But she threatened me with it all the time. But you know what? There is a permanent record of our sinfulness until we ask God to forgive us. When we confess our sins to the Almighty God, He removes that permanent record and He makes us squeaky clean. He genuinely does. Let me see here. Romans chapter 3, verse 22, it says, We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved. All of us can be saved in this same way. Even... No matter how bad you have been, no matter what you've done, no matter who we are or what we have done, verse 23 says, For all have sinned, all of us have sinned, we've all missed the mark, all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, now God in his glorious kindness declares us not guilty. Wow. Because of what Jesus did, he died on the cross. Mm -hmm. He paid for our sins. And, and therefore, we got a clear conscience. He has done this through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by taking away our sins. That's what he says, mm -hmm. that Jesus has freed us by taking away our sins. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer... Always be ready to explain it. Always. He, he's talking to all of us. That's right. Even though well, I haven't been to Bible, I don't really understand. It's simple. It's just real simple. Mm -hmm. It's just vanilla simple, isn't it? Just those few verses that we shared right there. Romans oh, 3, oh. 22 through 24. Oh, what does it say? It says, we are made right in God's sight when we trust in Christ Jesus Christ to take away our sins. That gives us hope. And we all can be saved in the same way, no matter who we are or what we've done. For all have sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standards. Yet now, in His God, in His gracious kindness, declares us not, not guilty. guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by taking away our sins. That's, that's what He wants us to tell them. That's all we need to say, because that's what gives us hope. And, and there are so many people in this world right now that are hopeless. They are. And they need to know. They, they will be asking, what makes you so different? Why do you have hope when this world is just hopelessly lost? And we can share the good news, the wonderful message. They can have a clear conscience too. All their guilt can be gone. Right. That guilt that gnaws at them constantly can be gone. It says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. We don't need to be belligerent. We don't need to be condemning. It says, do it in a gentle and respectful way. And then it goes on to encourage us, keep your conscience clear. For us to be effective in sharing Christ with others, we need to keep our conscience right. clear. Then if people speak against you, and that's, that's the concern that many have when they're 
uh, challenge to share Christ with people, they're afraid that people are going to persecute them or say something bad about them because they're sharing Christ. And, and he prepares us here. It says, then if people speak against you, if you have a clear conscience and you're living the right way before God, it says they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. We need to live differently. We don't need to be living like the world. We don't need to love what the world loves. We don't need to chase what the world does. We need to live a life that's different. And it says that if they look and see what a good life we live because we belong to Christ, they will be ashamed of what they've said. It says, remember, it's better to suffer for good if that is what Christ, what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. That's right. That's right. And, you know, the thing is, we were, you know, we're all praying for the nation of Israel right now because they are, you know, in this horrific war. You know, we need to keep praying. And as this week, someone sent us a testimony of a, a fella who is the son of one of the Hezbollah leaders. Now, Hezbollah is the other terrorist group that is from Lebanon that is also attacking Israel at this time. And this young man was one of the leader's sons. And somewhere during the last few years, because he now lives in the United States, he was a part of that terrorist group, and he was doing all the things that the terrorists were doing. And... Um, Jesus Christ appeared to him, and he genuinely got born again. But he had to leave his country for his own, you know, so his life would be spared. But, you know, when we're thinking about, we were just reading about in the book of Acts, Saul of Tarsus was a terrorist. He was going from house to house taking Christians. He was the one who said yes to those that stoned Stephen. People were being killed because of Saul. Yep. He was a terrorist. Yeah, what did God do? God knocked him off of a horse, shone a bright light, and Jesus appeared to him. You know, and he got born again. So we need to diligently be praying for the protection of God's people in Israel. But on the flip side, you know, God. Praying for the salvation of all the other people. Of the terrorists. Why not? You know, Jesus said to pray for our enemies. And these are enemies. They're our enemies. And we can, you know, we need to be careful because we can get angry about what's going on over there. But that anger can be what we call a holy discontent. And that holy discontent can cause us to pray for Israel, for their protection, for them to gain victory over their enemies, but also that their enemies would be saved. And that, the, and that Israel would come to know the Messiah, who the real Messiah is. So we've got a, a lot that we can do here now, you know, in the United States that we can pray. And, you know, we saw that God said that he would forgive us no matter who we are or what we've done. And that includes those wicked people that are, are just doing inhumane things. So it just adds another layer to how we need to be praying. And you know what? I, I believe right now before we dismiss, we got some other things to do, but we should just reaffirm our faith in Christ, mm -hmm. you know? And there, there are hundreds of people watching us online and that they can reaffirm their faith in Christ or maybe declare their faith in Christ for the very first time, 
So would you lead us in that prayer right now? Yes. Pray after me, please. Dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father. I believe. I believe. That you love me. That you love me. And you sent your son. And you sent your son, Jesus. Your son, Jesus Christ. Your son, Jesus Christ. To die on the cross. To die on the cross. For my sin. For my sin. He paid. He paid. For every wrong thing. For every wrong thing. That I have ever done. That I have ever done. With his shed blood. With his shed blood. And not only that. And not only that, but he rose again from the dead. But he rose again from the dead on the third day. On the third day, to give me victory. To give me victory over sin. Over sin. I believe. I believe that you have a special place. You have a special place. A special call. A special call. A special purpose. A special purpose for my life. For my life. And I want to do your will. And I want to do your will. And not my own. And not my own. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And Papa God, I lift up every brother and sister, every man and woman, every boy and girl in this room, and those who are watching from afar through their televisions and all. And we just ask a miracle in every one of our lives and cause us to see things the way you see things. Give us hope. Give us confidence. Give us boldness to let your light shine. Almighty God. And forgive us all of our sins and lead us and guide us in the right pathway for our life. Bless the men and the women who are here right now and set them all free, Papa God, from anything and from everything that holds them back and keeps them in bondage. Set them free, Papa God. Set us all free Forgive us for all of our sins and help us to become more and more just like you. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And amen.